electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. And welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The rally and why even one of the street's most notable bears thinks stocks can make a bigger run from here. We'll debate that with the Investment Committee, of course. Joining me for the hour today, Bryn Talkington, Steve Weiss, Liz Young, Joe Terranova, Let's check the markets. It's just past 12 noon in the east, and we're hanging on to a real good gain today. Uh, Dow retakes 30,000, 30,182. It's good for about 550. S&P 500, that's a nice gain, two and three quarters percent. NASDAQ, where a lot of the damage, right, we've called it the scene of the crime. It's up three and a half percent today. 395 is the yield on the 10-year note. Liz Young, I mentioned one of the street's most notable bears. Thinks that maybe this thing can go a bit. He's Mike Wilson, Morgan Stanley. Technicals may gain the upper hand on fundamentals if rates come in. So he thinks rates could fall ahead of a drop in inflation. So how far can this rally run, he asks. We think 4,000 is as good a guess as any and would not rule out another attempt to retake the 200-day moving average of 41.50. Seems like an awfully big move. It would be in line, though, with prior bear market rallies this year and previous ones. What do you think about that call? Well, I hate to be a downer, but it still doesn't sound like he was. But well, he's a downer, but, be, <laughs> but he's trying to be in a, still, he's trying still to be an upper. Sound like he's trying to call for it to be a new bull market and that there would be an attempt at getting to that previous high. Oh, he's not calling not for it. Let, overtake. Let's, it. let's be real clear. He's not calling. He's not calling for a new bull market. Right. Right. But and by the way, I don't know of many others who are either, no. No. even and, those who think you could have a good bounce. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. I'll preempt some of the criticism that I'm sure we'll get on this show today because we'll trash talk the rally. Here's the thing. I don't want the market to go down. I don't think anybody really wants the market to go down. What I want to happen is to be able to see that the cycle gets reset and inflation would be taken care of if the cycle were reset. In order to do that, we do have to have a notable downturn that goes through earnings and goes through GDP in the economy to the point where demand is hurt enough that inflation would go down. To me, that means that the market still has more room to fall from here. I do agree, though, with Mike that, look, these bear rallies can be really powerful. They can also be really tricky and they can lead you to believe that they're going to last and that we're out of the woods. I would still submit we are not out of the woods and there is going to be continued pain through the rest of this year until we can reset that clock. So, you know, Joe, you, you got, you know, a lot of people who say, OK, well, inflation's rolling over. It's just not showing up in the data. And yes, it's very early into earnings season, but it's far from the disaster that a lot of people had been predicting. Now, as I said, it's early. I'm not declaring anything at this no. particular moment. However, it could have easily gone sideways from the beginning, and it hasn't. Correct. I think the way you have to approach it is we survived financial earnings. We got past that. We didn't have a further deterioration, both in terms of fundamentals and technicals. So now you have a near-term setup 
a near-term setup, which is clearly a trade, nothing more than that, where over the coming week, there's really not much that can get in your way in terms of earnings. So you've got the potential that if, you know, Mike wants to call it maybe 4,000, Somewhere around or above. The, I mean, you could, I mean, we're I, talking about a 10 percent move. I, I don't know if you're not. I don't think you're getting a 10 percent move this week. And, and let me be clear. Next week is mammoth for the market. You are if you think about mega cap equities, I've said there's a valuation recession that keeps rolling through sectors and uh, different strategies within the market. More recently, it's clearly in mega cap equities. Next week is going to be so monumental for the market. So going into next week, yes, you clearly have a trade set up. You could see the market lift. I'd watch the U.S. dollar as a critical indicator. As long as that doesn't misbehave, I think you're okay. But you want the all clear signal, which you're going to get eventually. Have to get through next the, week. The dollar is huge today. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. a big part of the rally. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. And I'm glad yeah. you point that out. Yeah. You know, Bryn, we've made the point here that it's kind of hard to surprise the market at this point, right? Kind of know everything, uh, at least what we can see or feel and think that is going to be the case. You suggest as well that there are a tremendous amount of known knowns, and that helps the rally's prospects. Sure. I think, you know, we all know Donald Rumsfeld said that said that so well and that all the things that we've been talking about for months are these known knowns. What then surprises us and surprise has surprised economists how everyone's gotten it wrong is how sticky inflation has been. But I think in the short term, it's really important is last week, if you look at retail option flow, you had three to one puts to calls. Then you have the bank earnings and they're perfectly fine. And then you have today, I think you have a huge short covering. Because if you look at what's rallying, you're, you're seeing big moves and like ARC's up seven and a half. You've got, you know, moves, Roblox, which we'll talk about later, is up 20%. Like that's, that's oversized. And so you have this short covering happening. And so investors need to understand this algorithmic momentum trading is definitely a huge presence in the market. What I will say, though, is like for these strategists calling for 3,200 or 3,400 and that this is our bear market rallies, bottoms take time to put into place. And everyone needs to understand this is not Q4 of 2018. This is not March of 2020 when the Fed comes in and saves a day. The Fed has engineered this. And so these bottoms will take time. But I think it's like what you own is so important. And that's why it's very important, I think, to play more defense than offense and just stay in the game than trying to wait for some bell to ring, because for those investors waiting, it's easy to get out. But I don't know anyone that's successfully been able to get back in at lower prices. But I, I mean, maybe one of the bells ringing right now, and I don't want to get off the Wilson thing because I think it's significant, right? If somebody continues to put out negative fire and ice, fire and ice, now it's both and all this other stuff happening at the same time, and it's going to drive markets lower. And he's been largely right on the direction of, of the market, who now says, well, Maybe things are about to turn, at least in the short term. The short term, Weiss being, could last for, for months. He says, and I'm going to continue from the other part of the note that I didn't touch on yet. He says the infatuation with the CPI, PPI may be a trap for the inflation bulls. He says the 200-week moving average is a serious floor of support until companies fully confess or a recession officially arrives, both of which could take several more months and lead to a technical rally in the short term. So, right, even he suggests, okay, you could get some pretty, pretty good strength out of this 
this rally, whether it doesn't need to be the be all end all of the bear market, but you better prepare for it. Yeah, so um, I was a little surprised to see the note, actually, and I did go through it. Uh, and basically what Mike's saying is that uh, CEOs are either overly optimistic or out of touch because he sees earnings continue to decline, but doesn't think we'll see that until the fourth quarter. So let's put that aside for a little bit, whether I agree or, or disagree on that. Um, what I see is that this week you've got a very light economic calendar. Arguably, until claims come out on Thursday, you could have clear sailing. You've got Beige Book on Wednesday, but you know that's shown that's not really a hot topic for the market generally. So we've always known and we've said that there can be bear market rallies, and I believe that's what you're seeing now. And they've been pretty violent. Uh, what I think about when I see these happening is that if you take a look at the bear market rallies, they typically go further than the declines. Witness last week where we had that major day up and the next day we gave a good part of it back, but not all of it. And typically we've seen that we've had, you know, lower lows rather than higher lows. So if that reverse, that does give me some pause. But what I'd say is this. Look, I still think that the economy is not doing as well as CEOs have led us to believe that what you're seeing are some early indicators, we'll talk about Bank America later, of CEOs that do extraordinarily well in their businesses. So to me, the bias is still down. I'm not trading this rally because it moved so fast, so quickly that I couldn't do it. So losing a little dough today, but I did take off some hedges. What it's really trading on is the 10-year. And as yields decline, the market goes up. Well, that's we part saw of today his that the market sort of flattened. That's yeah. started part yeah. of his thought. And, he, and he's right. He's right. But then, then you've got to go to how low can the 10-year yield go? And I don't think it goes much lower than well, maybe here. It doesn't so have I to haven't go covered any of my short on bonds. Maybe it, just does, maybe it doesn't have to go much lower. It just doesn't have to go higher. Right. Maybe that's part of the point. And maybe, right. you, Until, and maybe right. you also have, in essence, Weiss, a, a tale of two markets. You have a... A near-term market, which for, you know, some technical reasons, maybe rates coming down, maybe the dollar comes down, which is part of his point, you could have a sizable rally, um, all of which speaks to the second market that I'm talking about. And that's the you-know-what-hits-the-fan market eventually, where earnings do what he says they're going to do. And the multiple comes way down as a result of, of all of that. So... You have to view, I think, both separately. You, you, because you've been largely out of the market, you have less of an ability right. to view the first one in the prism of which he speaks because you would have already had to been in the market to take advantage of the kind of burst that we could get, according to Mike, um, unless you want to get all bulled up real quick and then you have to figure out when to get less bulled up because you think the other part of his scenario is going to play out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. So that's why I'm not going all in the market. I mean, I, I continue to look for for values. And, you know, as I said, I looked at the semis, but guess what? I would have really been spanked pretty hard if I went into the semis because of, of the news that came out in geopolitical fronts. So where do you go? I continue to look at FedEx, but FedEx isn't doing well today. So 
I'm not going to go in and out like that. I'd rather take my hedges off and let my equity positions, because recall, I left the equity positions on because I thought I could be a better stock picker than the indices. And that's still what I'm going with. Mm -hmm. That was to be my exposure. It's slight exposure. I'm never going to participate fully. And I'm going to reiterate, I'm going to miss the first 10% upside when the market turns, because I am bared up. But I don't think we're there yet. See, all other of than these, for a trade. all of these, Liz, all of these scenarios can be correct. You can get a, let's just say, okay, the market can go up 10%, like Wilson says, but that doesn't mean that the bottom is necessarily in. Wolf Research today says the bottom still looks a ways off. Barclays not at a bottom yet. Jonathan Krinsky, we cite him all the time. Too soon to call the all clear, right? Even those calling for a big bounce would suggest it's still too soon to cite the all clear for obvious reasons. Here's what I would say in this scenario, and I, I agree with something Steve said too. Missing the bottom is actually more important than calling the bottom. You don't want to try to find it because you're not going to. You're going to fail at that every time unless you are just really lucky. So missing it and not participating in it all the way down and then starting off a smaller base is much more important than trying to find it call it, get in at that moment. So when we're down already 22, 23%, we've gotten down 25% from peak to trough this year, it's okay to be buying things. I'd much rather buy at 22 or 23% down, and then maybe you go another 10% down before you wait for it to come back, but you're not gonna be able to time it perfectly. And looking at just a, a long-term investor, if you've got, even if you have a two-year time horizon, I would argue things are going to be better in two years than they are today. So, look, if there are things on your buy list that you are dying to get into and they look a lot more affordable now than they did six months ago, a year ago, then go ahead and start wading in. Just know that it could get worse before it gets better, and you have to be able to withstand that. So what about tech, Joe? I'm looking at the Nasdaq here. It's up 3.25%, right? You've got uh, a nice big move today. you got got um, the Nasdaq 100 is up 3%. It's positive now for October. Netflix, IBM, Snap, they report their earnings this week. As you said, you got the Super Bowl next week with the mega caps yeah. uh, in the next couple of weeks re reporting their earnings. I, I, what do I we think, think? I think we're going to find out after next week if, in fact, the valuation premium that's being applied to these technology companies uh, and some of the mega cap consumer discretionary companies, if it's warranted enough. And you'll, you'll understand that, and that will give you the ability uh, at that point f to build off of that the foundation of what your thesis might be over the next several months. We're also coming into, which really, and, and I've talked about this on the network, off the network for many months, we're coming into a very strong historical seasonal period for equities, in particular when you study uh, going back to 1939, midterm elections. So from that November date of a midterm election to June 30th of the following year, the market in 20 consecutive instances has never given you a negative return. That's very compelling evidence to work with. So I kind of look at next week in technology as, okay, all we really need to do is kind of survive through that period. Is that premium valuation warranted? If it is, I think you have a foundation that over the next several months you can begin to build some form of a recovery within the market. What if it's false hope? It goes to kind of like what... Mike Wilson would almost suggest in that, okay, the roughest part of earning, corporate earnings hasn't showed up yet, and it's not going to for a while. So if you get through this earnings season and then you sit back and you say, oh, well, see, everything's great. Mm -hmm. Everything's really great. Stocks can go up a lot more. The reality is they may not be able to because of false hope.
Yeah. Because, as I said, you know what's going to hit the fan, like Mike Wilson says. It just takes a little longer than people thought, perhaps. Yes. So, so I agree with that, and I think it's, it's consistent what Steve was saying, where I, I don't think when you look, let's say, into the middle of 2023, we're going to look back upon this and say, okay, all clear. We're, we're, we're out of the woods. I think inflation is still going to be a, a word that's going to be communicated on this network. I think it's going to be something that the Federal Reserve is still going to be thinking about. You can have a rally within that context, but is this the resumption of the overall secular bull market? Scott, I, I, I don't think there's enough evidence there to say that. And I still see this 4,000 level for the S&P as kind of uh, where, where the market is going to swing back and forth from. It's going to you know, trade below it. It's going to trade back above it. And ultimately, that seems to be the center of gravity. You know, Wedbush, uh, Bryn, suggests that stocks are baking in major bad news for the third quarter. He's talking about big tech earnings. It's Dan Ives uh, who covers a lot of these companies. And, you know, may- maybe he's maybe he's right. We get through this earnings season rather unscathed. But then who knows? Who knows what the story is? I think that you had the last 10 years, you know, obviously the proverbial fang, and you could just buy the cues and have wonderful capital appreciation across the board. I think we're entering this time period, we already see it, we're not entering it, where there's going to be a lot of dispersion among these big tech names. I mean, to me, what's interesting is that, you know, Tesla's down. 37% year to date, but it's lost almost all of that in the last month. So a big cap tech name that finds its way in pretty much all of the, the growth indices has lost, it's, I think it's 27% in the last 30 days. And so Tesla actually comes out with earnings. It's either tomorrow or Wednesday. And so I'm really curious to see that because fundamentally, it seems like something's broken down within the stock, not the company within the stock. I mean, look at Facebook, look at Netflix. These are companies that have had huge dispersion from the Googles, the Microsofts and Apples. And so then I think I think that investors need to have more awareness of these individual companies, because I don't think these FANG type names or acronym names in general will do well over the next few years. And I think you have to pick your spots. And to Steve's point earlier about semis, you know, semis obviously are very cheap, but everyone needs to think through all of the impact that the White House has done over in China and what that impact is on the individual names, because it doesn't treat all of those semiconductor names equally. Hey, Brent, it's Joe. Isn't it, though, uh, Tesla declining on the expectation that Elon Musk might have to sell stock for the Twitter acquisition? Sure. I mean, sure. If, if, if that goes through it at, at that number, that's part of it. But to have such a big decline on a very expensive name, by the way. OK, so Tesla's not cheap and it finds its way through there. Bottom line, if you are an owner of Tesla or have a big, large position, Tesla from a technical chart looking back at 2017 has really broken down against a lot of support. And so now you go into the statisticians and the traders that look at technical techni- that look at Tesla technically it doesn't look good. And so all of a sudden that stock can take on a new dynamic because of what Elon had to do. Mm-hmm. But from a trader and a technician, it is what it is. And so that is not positive for large cap tech when Tesla has broken down on these fund- on these technicals. Weiss, the, the moral of this story is going to be that 2022 earnings are not the problem. But don't write too much into it, because when you really get into the early part of next year, the rubber is going to hit the road of, of rate hikes and further slowdown. Remember, they've only been hiking rates for six months. It takes a 
good amount of time for all of it to, to filter in and uh, in, into the system. My point being, look at, you know, the banks are off to a good start. Look at Bank of America. What, one of the few stocks that you, you actually still hold and like. Yeah, I mean, it was a stellar performance. I mean, Brian Moynihan, I've come out and said many times, I think is the top CEO there. I mean, Jamie Dimon, of course, is up there as well. But take a look at, at what he's done. I was surprised by net interest income, that that was good. And, you know, loan growth. I mean, those were surprising because we haven't had loan growth up until this point. We've had some of it, but not what anybody expected. Um, so there are some stocks to buy. Keep in mind, B of A is well off its highs and it's a cheap stock. But, you know, if you look at it this way, Jeremy Siegel has been on our show a number of times, been on a lot of CNBC shows. If you buy into what Jeremy Siegel says, then we haven't seen the crash in earnings or the economy. If the point that he's making and that Barry Sternlich's making, which is that the Fed's gone too far too fast, you're going to see the impact. And that impact is not going to be good for equity markets. And you're right. It takes two, you know, it takes two quarters to three quarters for it to really filter through. And you still had some pretty good savings out there. And you still had people that prefer their leisure time to working. So they're out there buying more goods and services. But we've yet to see the impact. Now, to Mike Wilson's point, the market continued to go up in the interim. But then you get to saying, OK, how am I going to play this? And I choose to have a point of view and stick with that view. I, once again, I'd love to buy some stocks. I love when markets go up. I hate when they go down. Um, but I'm just not there yet. I may pick some up. But I'm not so sure this is even sustainable today. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're. Who could fault you for thinking that just based on how recent rallies have gone? The minute you think that they are, they're not. So I, your, point's, your point's well taken. Coming up, big gains for small caps outperforming the broader market this month. And some new street notes are out on that group today. We'll debate it. Find out the best strategy for your portfolio in two minutes when we come back. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier. Because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion. Helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. Small caps outperforming in October, both the S&P 500 small cap 600 and the Russell 2000 beating the S&P month to date. And RBC thinks there's more upside ahead. 
So that's one note there. Costin, David Costin over at Goldman, Liz says small caps are trading at a much more attractive valuation than large cap. How do we view them here? Anybody who listens to me talk or reads my writing knows that I usually love small caps. Here's what I would say about them right now. Yes, they are trading at much more attractive valuations than large caps. You always have to sit back and ask yourself as an investor, but is there a reason that they're trading at more attractive valuations? For a while, yes, there was a good reason. The economy had started slowing down. We didn't. We were worried about demand. We were worried about the labor market. We were worried about a lot of things. But look at what's happened to the dollar. And this is one of those things that will always be a tailwind for small caps. When you have a strong dollar, simply because it is a headwind for large caps, it ends up being a tailwind for small caps because their revenue is more domestic-based. So if the dollar weakens, you're going to see some pressure there. But I'm going to go back to my comment at the top of the show. If and when the cycle resets, small caps lead out of recessions. So you do want to have a position in those for that moment. And at this point, when they are more attractively valued, this is a great time to build a position if you don't have one. Cuts both, cuts both ways, though, Joe, doesn't it? I mean, they lead you in. They may lead you out, but they lead you in. Well, and, and if they're good when the dollar is strong, if we're entering a period, which we could be, some think it's possible that the dollar you know, starts to weaken. Inflation starts to come down, rates starts to come down, dollar starts to come down, then maybe it's not so great for small caps. I think you have to look at it from the perspective of asset allocation. And we are in the process of normalizing all the abnormalities of the last couple of years. And without question, concentration in the last several years in a portfolio was it was rewarded. So you could concentrate towards large caps, you could concentrate towards growth or hyper growth stocks and you were paid for that. I don't think as you look forward, that's going to be the environment that we're in. So I think you take advantage of the valuation discount that exists for small caps and remind yourself coming into the decade, right? December 31st of 2019, S&P sitting at 32.30 thereabouts. And you say to yourself, okay, we're going to look forward to the middle of October of 2022. But guess what? Russia is going to invade Ukraine. We're going to have a global pandemic that's going to shut down the entire U.S. economy. On the other side of that, where do you think assets are going to be pricing? Well, you have a higher S&P and you have small caps that are basically down a little bit. I think you say, okay, not so bad. And I want to take advantage of that in particular for small caps. Bryn, he points out, he being Costin, that the small cap 600 trades at a P.E. of 11 times, which is near the cheapest level of the last 30 years. I thought it was I thought it was a great note. And so if you were just looking at cheapness versus expensive, you would say, yes, I'm going to buy small cap. But in August, we actually sold our small cap. And so to give some context to Liz's point, it leads on the way out. And so in December of 2020, we added a small cap value ETF to our strategy as we felt the economy was going to reopen. GDP would pick up. And that played out exceptionally well because small caps and especially small cap value, are incredibly sensitive to the U.S. economy. So I'm in the belief that we are late stage in the U.S. economy as we continue to slow. And so we sold the small cap value in August of this year to go into CALS, which is a free cash flow. So I think it's still too early in general to take a large position. I think that sometime mid-early next year, as we if we do go into a recession or continue to slow, 
you will get a better opportunity at even cheaper times to do exactly what Liz said. As you come out, small caps are a wonderful, wonderful way to outperform the S&P as you're coming out of a recession. But we haven't even entered one yet. Yeah, yeah. Why? So I can't imagine you like the small caps. I mean, this is kind of telegraphed, right? I don't even know why I'm bothering, <laughs> why, why I'm bothering to go to you here. Well, like, like a lot of us, except for me, Scott, you need affirmation of your thought process. Uh, and I'm going to give it to you. Uh, I know, yeah, but you know I'm, a lot I'm of not times a big you fan of small the, caps the Reaper's coming for, but that doesn't mean you want to see him or talk to him. Yeah, that's exactly right. But, but Liz has been talking about small caps for a long time, and I do look at her work, and, and she's been dead on. So, so why, would I, why would I fight it at this point? There'll be a time. They lead you lower. They lead you higher. Uh, they're a leading indicator. I do look at them, though, because of the dollar, how strong the dollar is, and a lot of their their uh, operations are more domestic than the S&P, which is more than half uh, international. So they'll, they'll hit it. So I think it's an alternative investment to S&P if you want to be in the market. All right. Let's get the headlines now with Contessa Brewer. Hi, Contessa. Hi there, Scott. Here's our CNBC News update right now. A new wave of attacks from Russian drones and missiles hitting Ukraine. In fact, an overnight attack hit a sunflower oil storage facility in Mykolaiv, sending flames into the sky. Other rockets hit their southern port city of Odessa. Russia has been using Iranian-made kamikaze drones equipped with small warheads and then striking civilian targets. A spokesman for the Ukrainian armed forces said the country's air defense is destroying about 85% of the drones fired by the Russians. The United Nations is calling for an investigation after Greek police rescued nearly 100 migrants, some injured, all naked on the border between Greece and Turkey, each country blaming the other for mistreating migrants, and no confirmation yet about why these men were without their clothes or how pictures of them started circulating online. The U.N. condemned what it called cruel and degrading treatment. And Georgia, the state of Georgia, has announced a new text alert system to allow poll workers to report any threats in real time. The text will be sent to county and state elections officials to coordinate with law enforcement. The new system comes after Georgia saw unprecedented threats to election workers following the 2020 presidential election. Scott, a lot of scrutiny on the process of voting itself heading into the midterm. Yeah, no doubt. Contessa, thank you. That's Contessa Brewer. Still ahead right here on the Halftime Report, two of the day's biggest stock gainers. We have ownership on the committee. Plus, Mike Santoli has his midday word. And next, the ETFs to watch amid today's bounce back. We're back after this break. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome to the ETF Edge portion of Halftime Report. I'm Bob Pisani. You asked for it, we're delivering. Viewers have been asking how to get access to those juicy 4% yields on the two-year treasuries, as well as other portions of the Fed's treasury market. There are new products recently launched to go a long way toward answering those needs. Let's talk with Alex Morris. He's the CIO of FM Investments. He's just launched a new series of single-bond treasury ETFs. Alex, you know, we know... Uh, about single stock ETFs, like the Tesla long and short ETF, uh, but single bond ETFs. This is a whole new concept. You just launched these in August. You have a 10-year, a two-year, a three-month. Tell us, for example, how this two-year works. What, what do you get when you buy this? Sure, so you get the two-year. 
It would be just like going out and buying it in the market, just as you would on your own. But it's a lot more convenient. So we will invest in the On the Run two-year, which is issued once a month by the government, and we'll roll from one bond to the next, giving you a consistent exposure to that juicy yield, as you point out that you see today, and all the risk characteristics of a two-year without having to do all of the underlying work. So every month there's a new auction of two-year notes. We know that. And what you're going to do is you sell the old one and you buy the new one, so you always have the most recent auction. You get the most current yield, right? Uh, it, the fee here, I want to get that clear for everybody, 15 basis points. Is there any taxable event that occurs when you sell the old, the, the old auction and buy, buy the new one? No taxable event, thanks to the magic of how an ETF works. If there is a tax loss, we'll harvest that and hold on to it for the future. But no taxable event should there be a gain. Yeah, what's the advantage then of owning the ETF versus, say, just going out and buying a two-year Treasury note? Why, why do I want to own an ETF, for example? So we get that question a lot, and we challenge people to go and try it. Buying bonds is surprisingly complicated. They're still traded in fractions and it's relatively difficult, even on most retail platforms, to get good pricing. We get excellent pricing, work with institutional players, and we pass all of that along to investors. Even on Treasury Direct, you can actually go right online and buy them directly from the Treasury Department. You could, and you could participate in the auction alongside the primary dealers and get pricing that isn't quite what you want, and then you're going to hold on to it for the next two years. If you want to readily trade that security, you're going to need to hold it in a brokerage account where pricing is much different. Yeah. We're going to have a lot more on this. This is a fascinating new concept, single bond ETFs. Much more on Alex with Alex on using these ETFs to invest in single bonds, uh, ETFs in general. ETF Edge is coming up at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Now, we're going to be joined by John Dobby. He's the founder and chief investment officer for Astoria Portfolio Advisors. We'll discuss why investing in single stock bond ETFs have advantages, particularly over multi-bond mutual funds. That's a big issue right now. ETFedge.cnbc.com. Halftime, ret halftime returns right after this with some of the day's big stock movers. It's one of our stocks of the day. Splunk shares they are higher today on reports that activist investor Starboard is taking a stake just shy of 5% in the security software maker. Amy Raskin, she owns it, part of the investment committee, joins us now to talk about that on the phone. It's nice to see you. Thanks for calling in. Uh, well, this was welcome news for you, I suppose. It was, absolutely. Um, and, a, and a long time coming, although they did have the investment from Hellman and Friedman also. Um, so it's a relatively small position for us. We typically don't buy stocks that we think are, you know, or, or because we think they're going to be taken out. But we like this company. It's a good, it has a good technology. Um, when we talk with companies, they like using Splunk. It's their go-to um, for their security, for their specific technology. Um, we think this is a nice bite-sized acquisition for somebody, probably at $11 billion market cap. Um, you know, less than four times sales. It's not particularly expensive. It has a new CEO who is willing to, um, you know, do deals and monetize the asset. So um, we, we think this is a good investment for um, Starboard, and um, we, we continue to yeah. hold it. Again, it's not a huge position, but we like the setup here. Not cheap, though, right? Um, forward PE 45 times. You know, it's been tough in the market for stocks that are deemed to be expensive. I know that you uh, just mentioned the price to sales uh, not right. being not being too exorbitant, but nonetheless, right, it, ha right. it, it does have a, a rather large forward P.E. 
It does have a high PE, but price to sales and price to cash flow look much more attractive. They've been going through a transition about how they recognize revenue and, um, you know, that other companies have gone through before that make their earnings look a little bit funky right now. And that's been a big drag on the stock. It has not been a clean transition. They're also moving from direct to, to um, cloud-based sales. So there's a lot going on here, but that said, we're not seeing that customers are switching away from using Splunk's technology, yep. and you're seeing it, and the cash flow is still there and still real. So I, there's a lot of noise on this one. There's a lot of hair. It hasn't it hasn't been pretty, although it did hold up well um, in the first downturn earlier this year, but hasn't in the second. Um, so, you know, relative, you know, on an apple-to-apple basis, I think relative to other companies, it, it is less expensive. Okay. I appreciate you calling in, Amy. Thank you. Amy Raskin, okay. uh, Chevy My Chase pleasure. Trust, the CIO there. I should let all of you know, too, Jeff Smith. He's a familiar name to, to many of you. He is going to be interviewed tomorrow uh, by David Faber, 1015 tomorrow morning on Squawk on the Street. Uh, so don't miss that interview with, with, with Jeff Smith. He's a pretty active activist as they go. Uh, Bryn, another stock of the day, Roblox, right? Up big time. There it is. Up more than 21%. The DAU figures, you own it. Yeah, so every month Roblox puts out their metrics. And so the metrics came out this morning. And what's interesting is that, you know, people look at this name as a COVID name. The company had been around for well over a decade before COVID, and I think they'll be around well over after that. It just IPO'd during that time period. But their DAUs were up 23% to 57 million. And why that's important is they, tra- they, they then translate those, those new users and they monetize them. They make about $3.70 you know, per user. And so that means their revenues are getting stronger. I mean, I think that, that Mark Zuckerberg would would take would give his right arm to have 57.8 million daily active users in his metaverse. And so I still like this company. I think it's a great company. Dave Bazuki does a good job as founder CEO and it just continues to be sticky where people spent 4 billion hours. I mean, fill 4 billion hours um, year over year. Like that's incredible stickiness. And so I want to continue to own the name. I'm glad it's up. I'm sure it's short covering is quite a bit of this. So I wouldn't get too excited because I do feel it's short covering and sentiment that got a little bit lucky today, but always good to see a stock receive good notoriety on a, on a good metric report. Yeah. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. Santoli's Midday Word is next. We are back on the Halftime Report. Senior Markets Commentator Mike Santoli from the New York Stock Exchange for his midday word. We got a pretty good move, um, but we are having a little bit of a move higher as we're having this conversation also, Mike, in rates. And you wonder if that's going to cap what we can actually do here. If it gets a little bit out of hand, we start uh, feeling like we're threatening uh, back toward the highs in the two-year, perhaps. Uh, I do think it showed you coming into the week, uh, the market was, as it has been for a while, braced for something to, to break, to blow up. Didn't happen over the weekend. You got the U.K. move. It all made sense. It's making the case at least... Uh, you know, tentatively, that that reversal on Thursday was not just random and it wasn't just uh, kind of a mechanical twitch. We'll see how it goes. I do think it's interesting to point out there's been no net downside for four months since the mid-June lows in the S&P. Now, maybe that's not really saying a whole lot, but you've absorbed plenty. Uh, We're trying to make a stand here. Seasonals start to get better. It just feels like it's a team that started off the season 
poorly, and now it's got a soft patch in the schedule, and they need to make the most of it uh, to have any shot, and that's where the market is going into the, fourth, uh, the, the back half of the year. Yeah, but you don't want it to continue the analogy. You don't want the market the to get year, blown out if you make the playoffs on the basis of a, of a soft stretch in the schedule. No, but you deal with that when you get there, you know? Yeah, I hear you. Um, earnings, you know, speaking of results-oriented, uh, right? Um, maybe this quarter is not going to be the blow-up that people were looking for. You just got to keep pushing it down the road. Right. Ideally, that's how it goes and that these companies have time to maneuver to the degree that they can. I think today's Bank of America results, as good as they were for Bank of America, uh, are also get, letting people find some reassurance about where consumers are. They can take on more leverage. They can absorb higher prices for a while. Uh, at least that's the way B of A wants to uh, present things. And that's, if nothing else, keeping the worst of the immediate economic fears at bay. All right. I'll see you in a few. That's Mike Santoli. At the New York Stock Exchange, he'll join me once again for his last word later on. Up next, we'll have some of the biggest stock calls of the day. We're right back. All right, welcome back. Let's do some calls of the day. First up, Bryn, we're coming to you because Barclays on win in Las Vegas Sands has cut estimates. It's about Macau, uh, largely, and the weakness there. And look, we, we covered these, gosh, I think it was on Friday um, with Contessa Brewer, who was just back from the big conference out there. And while Vegas is off the charts booming, Macau is not. And Wynn and LVS were the two worst stocks out of the S&P last week. Now you got an estimates cut. Are you optimistic on this at all at this point? So, so I bought the stock on September 26 as a trade when actually the Macau government came out and said, we are going to be reopening Macau soon. It did not say what soon meant. So I'm going to I would I would infer that soon met sometime after the election, which just started, which just started Saturday. So I think there's so much bad news baked in the stock. Clearly, it traded so terrible. I think on Thursday, when the market was up so strong, win was down for the day. I sold calls against it. And so I sold the January 77 calls and collected about seven and a half percent premium on that. So I'm glad I did. I'm glad I did. I'm going to wait for a month or so. I, I still think that Macau will open. I mean, they said they would reopen. So if I can trust that, trust in quotes, we'll see. But if not, I do not want to be in this stock for the next six mm. months waiting for the Chinese government to make up their mind. And so I'll, I'll close the position, buy back my calls and, and move on if I decide to sell it. I'm glad you put the trust in quotes. It's uh, it's it's well taken. Yeah. Uh, XPO Weiss got downgraded today to hold from buy at Deutsche. Price target gets slashed too. the 50 bucks from 78. What do you think here? Well, so it's one of the positions I still own and it's reduced like all the others. But uh, I think the analyst is getting off it a little too early. Everybody knows freight's down, but I've got a stock here selling at about six times EBITDA. And uh, that is cheap no matter what. So you got to bet that it's going to come down further. Uh, but more importantly, they're spinning off RxO. That's as of November 1. In my experience, I haven't seen analysts really do the analysis in terms of what they're doing with the new companies. So in other words, RxO is one of the most technologically advanced brokerage uh, companies in the entire country. And I haven't spoken to the company recently. Not to, they're not telling me anything that they haven't said publicly, of course. Business is holding up pretty nicely. So I don't think this is the point to sell it. Goldman, I believe, has an $80 price target. So I'm sticking with it. Yeah. Uh, all right. And Chipotle. Finally, Joey, uh, reiterated outperform 1800 bucks at Oppie. 
pricing power. Uh, that's what this company has. Uh, but It's going to keep raising prices? <coughs> it's got to run out at some point. I, I think at some point it does run out. But let me be clear. Uh, this is a name that's held in the Joti ETF. On next Friday, the 28th, there'll be a rebalance and reconstitution. And every name is under consideration. So we'll see what happens. Okay. On the All right. Well, you'll tell us about it, too. I know yes. you will. Uh, so you'll keep us up to date there. We'll do final trades next. Kate Rooney has a news alert for us on Sam Bankman-Fried's FTX. What's going on? That's right, Scott. A Texas state regulator is investigating the crypto exchange FTX run by billionaire Sam Bankman-Fried. According to a court filing, the state securities board is looking into whether FTX offers unregistered securities through its yield-bearing accounts, which offer as much as 8% yield. FTX in a statement telling us, quote, we have been in talks with the Texas state regulator for a while and that we have an uh, active application for a license which has been pending. They go on to say, we believe we are operating fully within the bounds of what we can do in the interim. We look forward to continue working with regulators. They also mentioned Voyager in that bankruptcy case here. FTX is in parallel. We are working exceptionally hard to ensure Voyager customers get the best possible outcome, which we believe will happen if our bid to give assets back to users is approved. This goes back to a bankruptcy uh, filing by Voyager. The state regular points regulator points to some of the accounts at FTX. They say they look similar to those offered by uh, Voyager, which did go bankrupt this summer. Reminder, Voyager is selling its assets to FTX for about a billion dollars. This has been an extremely contentious, drawn-out bidding process. FTX finally won that in a bankruptcy auction just a couple weeks ago. All right. Back to you. Appreciate it. Kate, thank you. That's Kate Rooney with the latest there. Uh, remind you, overtime today, Canner's Eric Johnston is back with me. Remember, he made that forceful call for a huge rally in stocks about a week or so ago. He's coming back on today. Has he changed his mind? He can make some short-term tactical calls, so we'll find out if he's doubling down or uh, peeling it back a little bit. And also, Chris Verone of Strategus is going to be with us. He argues you should sell the rallies, so we'll find out exactly what he's talking about. Courtney Garcia rounds it out today. I'll see all of you in a few hours' time. Let's do final trades. Bryn, you're up first. I'm Cal's. Um, it screens for the top 100 names and the rest of 1,000 with the highest free cash flow yield. Has a PE of 6.95. Energy and healthcare make up 50% of the portfolio. Okay, good stuff. Thank you. Steve Weiss. TBF. Uh, bond uh, yields have been moving higher throughout the show and the day. So I don't think you make a lot of money on it, but I'm staying short. All right, yeah, they're coming off the lows and uh, watching the 10 year 399. All right, Joe. I don't want to chase J.P. Morgan up here, but on a pullback to around 111, 112, you're a buyer there. Okay, you got Goldman tomorrow, of course. Liz Young. Financials, I've said it before. I just want to make sure nobody missed it. Trading at 11 times versus an index of 15.4. All right, I'll see you in the OT. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. 
Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.